0: Hello and welcome, dear friends and listeners. Welcome to a new episode of the Thought Hermes podcast. Today is Sunday, May 16, and this is episode number four of our season six. And the title of the subtitle of today's show is Archaeology and the Strega. Well, that shows you we have an Italian guest here today, and her name is Giulia Torolla. We will hear about her a little more in just a few moments. I thank you all for coming back here to the Thoughts Hermes podcast. I have seen that you really, really enjoyed last week's episode, or two weeks ago it was actually, with Jake Stratton-Kent. He hit all the records on this show, and rightly so, because I think it was a really interesting interview we did back then and um well thanks for all returning customers so to speak you returning listeners i'm grateful to have you all here and that the south term is Podcast is back to its old strengths after this break. Um well if you want to know more about this podcast, if you're new to it maybe, why don't you go on the website thoshermes.com t-h-o-t-h-e-r-m-e-s dot scom and there you can find all the previous episodes. You can find them also on most of the podcast outlets, but on the website you find a bit more you find all the pages with the details with the links that you wouldn't be interested in and can go and check my guests a bit further out and find more information on them and also you can send me feedback and i always like your feedback your feedback can be sent via email info at com, for example but also you can go there and leave me a voice message two people did last week so why not you voice message you find it on the website on the right there is a little tab and it's free and just send me your voice speaking about voice um I'm again, as I have done previously, I'm again looking for music to be played on this show and I also received just today a message from one of the patrons who had an idea about music I'm going to play and I'm probably going to follow that up. And so why don't you do the same? Many of you out there are musicians yourselves or you know people who do music that is related to the occult, to the esoteric worlds. I'd love to hear about that, and uh, if we can find a way, play it on this show. And last but not least, of course, there is also me asking you for your support, because this show has its cost, this show has to be produced and paid for, and I'm very, very grateful and thank to everyone who has already so far become a patron of this show. We have uh, uh, a nice number of about 50 patrons. but. And honestly, we need a few more, especially now, and uh, I have announced that to you, we are returning to a weekly schedule, so we are going to produce a show each week, so your support will be needed, and please go on our website and click on the Patreon button and do a little effort, it's as little as $1 per show that already is the the startup level, and you help us a lot already with that so if you can afford it would be nice if you did it if you want to do a one-off donation there's also a button for donations or if you want to go to the patreon site right away look for thought Hermes there that is also possible right i spoke about music and well with music as always we start now this show and well this week because of course giulia Turolla tarolla is a witch an italian witch. so i thought some Witchy music would be nice, and why not have one of our favorites again back here, Wendy Rule? Wendy Rule did some very interesting music in that respect, also with some witchy background. And now to start this show, let's listen to her, Wendy Rule, and her elemental chant. Enjoy! <laughs>
1: And acknowledge each quarter The earth is my mother And I know is her daughter The circle extends to the stars And goes on forever center and acknowledge each quarter the earth is my mother and i know as her daughter the circle extends to the stars and goes on forever
0: song by wendy rule almost said by our own wendy rule yeah those of you who are the ones who listened from the very beginning or who have listened back on one of the former episodes in the first two seasons remember that wendy rule interpreted the title song and also the outro song on this show for the first two seasons still grateful for that to her and what a wonderful music here to Put us into mood for our talk with Julia Turola, Julia, who is from Italy, as her no- name suggests. She comes from an open-minded northern Italian family, and she talks to me about her very first steps into Wiccan initiation to start with, but nowadays she is leading circles for the temple of Ara, Tempio di Ara, in Italy, since 2008 actually she does that, and she is teaching in study groups, workshops, and uh, she has been a regular appearance on the magical women's conference in london that great conference that we have already covered once and uh, i'm sure we're going to collaborate with them again they of always very very interesting guests in a couple of weeks by the way i have another person who is appearing regularly on that magical women's conference who will be my guest for an interview here on the mm-hmm. podcast so, Tempio Diara, what is that? um you might not have heard about it if you live in the United States, but you have certainly heard about Phyllis Curtt, who was one of the very very first really um actively working widgets at the same time she's a lawyer and a very important personality in the new york area and um, and she created the tempio di ara in italy but also the temple of ara in the united states well i'm not going to tell you everything that i'm speaking with julia uh, during this interview Also be aware that Julia creates shamanic and magical tools. She's an artisan as well. But she also is an archaeologist because that was her primary studies and she has written highly interesting papers on ancient Egypt and the links to witchcraft there. So she's really a very, very interesting personality and I was very happy to talk to her. It was also a jolly talk. It was really nice to speak with her. I won't keep you much longer let's go and let's go to northern Italy and meet Giulia Giulia Turolla. Um, as always in the middle of the interview after about half an hour, I will come back and we'll listen to another piece of music. But for now, listen to my interview with Giulia Turolla. Here comes the interview. It is a great pleasure for me to welcome here at the Thoth Hermes podcast um, uh, young woman from Italy, Giulia Turolla uh, from Italy, which is, of course, just south of my country, Austria. And I'm very happy to. I think you are the first Italian on this podcast, which is highly due. Um, (laughs) We had Nick Nick Farrell here who lives in Rome, actually, but he is not Italian, of course. And it's about time and also really about time to speak about uh, the traditions in Italy, traditions of Wicca and uh, others in Italy. Well, you are going to tell us a lot about this. And I'm very happy to welcome you, Julia. Good evening and welcome on the Thought Hermes podcast.
2: Thank you. It's a pleasure being here. (laughs)
0: Well, you have been around quite a bit teaching and doing workshops and, and speaking at events, but you confess to me, I guess, that this is your first podcast. Am yeah. I right?
2: I'm losing my podcast virginity here and now, so I'm happy to be doing it oh, well, with you. <laughs>
0: great, great. Ha- happy to do that here and, well, the two premieres then, first Italian here and your first podcast, so <laughs> nothing can happen every, we are all safe here. Very good. Well, but as I said, um, I've discovered you i th- it was mainly through the magical women conference in London, where we have been being partnering with their 2019 edition. Unfortunately, then the 2020 edition fell apart because of that COVID thing. And now it's I think it's slowly it's still online. we were recently also on one of their online editions, I believe. Mm-hmm. And and then that's where I heard about it, where I read about you, and uh, I was very impressed with what you are doing. Where you are a high priestess and teacher in the temple of Ara tradition. We are going to hear more about that. I think it's a very interesting tradition that many people, even here on the podcast, don't know a lot about. You're going to tell us a lot about that. But uh, Julia, let's let's start at the beginning. Um, how how did you? start to become interested in the magical world, in the world of Wicca. Um, how did it all start? Um, um, where did you start? Where did you start?
2: Well, I feel that this may sound a bit like, you know, a cliche, but cliche are, are so for a reason, which is they are often true. Uh, I have been, I cannot recall a moment in my life in which I said, oh, I may be interested in magic, you know. I've always been interested in magic, as far back as I can recall. And of course, my my family is Catholic, um, but also quite open-minded. So I was not raised in those, you know, oppressively Catholic families. And on the one hand, I had this very happy childhood in a very matriarchal family, you know, lots of. You know, brothers and sisters and cousins. It was mm-hmm. also a swarm of children like, you know, demons from the underworld. And uh,
0: what part of Italy are you originally from?
2: Um, I am from northern Italy, which is uh, I'm mm-hmm. originally from Ferrara, which is nearby Bologna. Okay.
1: And Mm -hmm.
2: I am currently living on the mountains nearby Maranello, where they make Ferraris.
0: (laughs) Okay,
3: yeah.
2: So, well, you know, on the other hand, I always was a bit of a weird child. I I remember, I don't know if you, have you seen, I guess so, have you seen Willow? You know, the movie,
1: Mm -hmm, the fantasy
2: movie. And I remember that when I was a child, there was this very, you know, Climatic moment in which the witch was taking the child to do that sacrifice, and I don't remember exactly the reason why. Yeah. And I, it was really a letdown for me as a child that I didn't get to see what could happen if she sacrificed the child, <laughs> which I mean, <laughs> was, yeah, I, I mean, I, I love children, but it was also very cool, you know, with all the the magical apparatus, sure. and so on. So, yeah, I've always been interested in witchcraft and in ancient cultures. I remember that I went to my grandmother and uh, I read all the time on uh, old books about, you know, mythology and uh, you know, ancient histories, and battles, and so on. But I really started to discover that You know, witchcraft was a practice that was still real and alive when I was a teen. And it wasn't easy in Italy because uh, there was... I remember that if you wanted a book, you had to go to the bookstore and ask, you know, the bookseller yourself to order that book. And
1: Mm -hmm. especially Mm
2: -hmm. if you wanted it in English, because I think that just Scott Cunningham at the time... Was being translated
0: all right yeah Uh, what years approximately are we talking about when you say that
2: well i am i was born in 1986 and i was uh, i guess i was 14 at the time
0: Mm -hmm. so So around 2000 yeah the Mm -hmm. i mean
2: early 2000s uh Mm -hmm. and uh, i first saw a book about, uh, I mean, I was, I had been reading books on, you know, um, the witch's trials and so on for, for a long time, but I first saw a book on, on Wicca and it was, you know, just by chance. And it really... Was that the
0: Gardnerian type of of Wicca? No,
2: I think that it was the only one that was translated at the the time. I think it was a book from Scott Cunningham.
0: Scott, Yeah. Hmm. Yeah.
2: Uh, because, you know, it was the commercial wicked that was maybe selling at the time. Um, No offence meant. Uh, And yes, it really, I mean, it wasn't so much the book because I really don't like Scott Cunningham's book, but it was the whole idea that this word that I've always loved and appreciated and that I felt deep into my soul that it could be something that that was still alive, that could be still part of this world, and not just something that was, you know, in the realm of fantasy or ancient history, and it blew my mind. And suddenly, I wanted mm-hmm. to do to meet with other people and discover if there were other people like me, and and there were. I mean, not so much, but there were some, and that's how I started, you know, going to. Uh, pagans, you know, festivals and
0: can, can you tell us a bit more about the Italian background of the time and maybe even today, because, as I said, it's the first time we're talking about Italy and that background here. And um, of course, in different countries, situations are different, England, the access was probably at that time, already a bit easier also in North America. In Austria, it's still difficult today. (laughs) But What is it in Italy at the time and today? How is the accessibility? How is the the meaning about it?
2: Well, things have changed dramatically from when I was a teen. I I remember that, I mean, uh, we really were like handful of people and there were Very few books that were being translated and we were relying on, you know, the bits that we could get online and that we would translate ourselves. But, you know, the Internet was not like it is now at the time. So I remember that Mm. we were in those forums and we were waiting like for half an hour for a page, you know, to charge. And it was like, you know, receiving the mystery in real time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. nobody
2: was really initiated. I mean, uh, mm. at the time, uh, some people were in touch with uh, other people from <laughs> abroad that were initiated and they were trying to get a training that way. but. Initially, there was a lot of enthusiasm, but a lot of confusion as well, because we were trying to, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, to do something, to build a community, to to get a training, Um, and there was no way to do that. But, uh, you know, one step at a time, and thanks to really big efforts that were made by really few, a limited number of people we were able, I think that yeah, Phyllis was the very first initiated uh, person in Wicca to come in Italy in order to teach. So that's Phyllis
0: current we are talking about now, yes. And she Mm -hmm. came in Mm -hmm.
2: 2000, so it was 21 years ago. Uh, And that's how it started. You know, after her, there were Janet, Janet Farr and Gavin, and uh, uh, some people also got I know a training in uh, Dianic, you know, Wicca, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. others in the Black Forest tradition and so on. So that's how it started, and but right now things are really different. So you can get to I know Facebook or so on, and you can see you know very easily. Which are the tradition, the initiatory traditions that are present in Italy, and who are the people and the covens and the groups that are really um, uh, connected? To those traditions,
0: and you can ask. Can you give a, a, a brief overview of those traditions? Because, of course, when we do those interviews here, we mostly speak about the English traditions, which are very common, or the US traditions, but the European Wiccan traditions, I don't think uh, our audience is very much aware of them, right? Maybe you can just, you gave a few names, maybe you can, yeah. Black Forest tradition, etc. Maybe you can just tell a few words about them, right?
2: Okay, I hope I'm not... I'll sure forget about some of them and (laughs) I hope I'm not Um, offending anyone. No worries. (laughs) So, of course, there is this um, Gardnerian-Alexandrian tradition, which is what the Americans call, you know, British traditional Mm -hmm. Wicca, which is not used in Europe so much, um, which I think that everybody's more or less familiar with that. It's the... Uh, yeah. The branch, you know, the original branch that comes from Gerald Gardner, and uh, it has, to some extent, fused with the Alexandrian uh, Wicca. And apart yeah, exactly. from that, there is the uh, Temple of Caldea, which is, uh, it has been founded by uh, the initiates that were trained by Janet Farrer and Gavin Bourne in Italy. Mm -hmm. and uh, Mm -hmm. they now are a tradition and of course I am not an initiate but I know many friends who are and I think that well if I I I don't want to you know uh, put my words in their mouths but uh, probably some of the most important parts of that tradition is the work with divinity so uh, like the drawing down the moon, What what was the drawing down the mm-hmm. moon, which is done with many different. <laughs>
0: right. Of course. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And mm-hmm. um, and the work with local uh, gods and goddesses and traditions. So it is very diverse, depending on the coven you are working with.
0: Does the ancient Roman tradition still play play a role in those ancient god god godhoods?
2: Yeah, of course, but um, you know there is uh, there is um, that branch that tries to reconstruct, which is not new pagan. Uh, it tries to reconstruct mm-hmm. the ancient Roman ways. There are many mm-hmm. diff- different groups doing that, um, and there are people in new pagans, Wicca or not, in new tradition, working with those same deities and uh, spirits and traditions but it is done in a different way it's a different approach on the on the one hand you have uh, this attempt to completely reconstruct what was you know true at the time so to say Mm -hmm. uh, As an archaeologist, I have very, you know, big opinions about that. (laughs) I'm sure
0: I will come to that in a moment.
2: (laughs) And um, while on the other end, there is, you know, this this work, this attempt to get in touch with those spirits and those gods and goddesses through different techniques and uh, uh, modern, uh, should we say, ways. So
1: yeah. Yeah. it is
2: a different approach. Uh, but I mean mm-hmm. the gods and the goddesses and the spirits are really the same. So it's yeah. just a different sure. language. Sure. Uh yeah. then there is I know that there are some people that were initiated in the Black Forest tradition. Uh now they're not so active in Italy because I think at least I know that one of them has gone abroad. Uh mm-hmm. Then there is the, some group, some people that were initiated, that are initiated in the Dianic tradition, uh, which is, uh, I mean, it's a tradition that is derived by uh, Wicca, but uh, that, you know, just works and honors the Divine Feminine as, you know, the, the central pillar, so to say. Yeah. And uh, um, then there is, uh, I'm forgetting about someone. I I mean, there is the Temple of Ara, which was really the first initiatory one coming to Italy. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about that since we'll be, I think, talking about
0: about
1: that in a moment.
2: (laughs) And then there are uh, different um, groups and covens that, you know, they could be, many of them are eclectic, so they are not, um, they have not been, they don't have a lineage, so to say. And some of them, yeah. there are some covens in which there are uh, people that have been initiated and others that are not, but they work mm. together and, uh, I mean, they do their own uh, their own type of work. So it's very... Um, it's a very diverse panorama. But while once it right. was next to impossible to to know, you know, which was initiatory weaker, uh, also because there were wild claims, you know, going around because mm-hmm. essentially nobody could check. So yeah, <laughs> it was really sure. the Wild West <laughs> at the time. <laughs> but right now it's it's really very very different, and it's really easier. Because
0: mm-hmm.
1: you can get mm-hmm.
2: in touch, essentially, just by going on yeah. Facebook. Uh, sure. <laughs> sure.
0: Sure. Exactly. So, but Well, thank you for that overview. I think it, it was important and good for us here. Um, but let's return to to Julia now to you. So we we are around 2000, it's you're about 14, if I calculate it properly. Uh, and so what what? Um, what happened next in your Wiccan life, so to speak?
2: Well, of course, there was a lot of drama because you know there's always drama in the magical community, <laughs> and when it's the Italian
0: and, magical community, and in Italy,
2: exactly. yeah, yeah. I mean, which is, which makes it. I mean, it's drama. But it's even more colorful, so to say. At least we don't Absolutely. get bored.
0: <laughs> you know, my professional my professional background is opera. So I know all about that part of, <laughs> of, of Italian opera.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. We do love to hate each other. But it's also true that in Italy, we are quite skilled at, you know, doing hate as a friendly sport. So... I kind of hate you, but if I meet you, I'll have a beer with you or drink a glass of wine with you, sure. and who cares about that? So exactly. <laughs> well, yes, I started with I started trying to get in touch with other people, and uh, yeah, as I said, on the one hand, at first it was really exciting, but on the other, I felt frustrated because I couldn't get answers and I got a lot of who, you know, and uh, fake history, fake lore and that was really irritating for me and I just, I had this feeling that I wanted to understand it all. So I was, I have always been very allergic to hierarchy and, you know, to that sort of pompous demeanor. So that at the time that ruled out most of the esoteric orders, I'm sad to say, uh, especially because I'm a woman. So they tended to sure. really talk down to me, you know, in a very paternalistic mm-hmm. manner. And it has happened yeah. to me a lot of times that some people would say to me, Well, well, I don't expect you to read the book so and so while it was a book that I already read, of course, <laughs> but yeah. you know,
1: yeah, 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 that's yeah.
2: Very common with women in the occult, and it was even more common at the time.
0: Uh, I, I was going to say it's still, unfortunately, still a bit the case today, isn't it? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Also, because you know, I have this very down-to-earth approach, so I tend not to slap people, you know, with my knowledge and my studies on the face and i like uh, we say in italy i like to talk as i eat you know very simply because Mm -hmm. otherwise it just feels like gatekeeping like cutting people out or like i don't know like i'm insecure and i want to show to show off my dick, which I don't have, but my metaphorical one, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I warned you that I have quite a filthy mouth because with did.
0: I but- <laughs> really like your openness.
2: <laughs> so, yeah, I felt like I couldn't get answers in Wicca because of how the panorama was at the time. But on the other hand, I really couldn't abide the attitude that was going in the esoteric orders and I really didn't like how they were conceived, you know, this very, uh yeah.
0: Pompous, very, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm.
2: And that changed when I met the Temple of Ara. So when I met Phyllis for the first time, it was 2005, mm-hmm. I think. I already read her book, which I had loved, but, you know, seeing her uh, in the flesh was a different thing. And what I really loved about her approach is the fact that she she really did a, a great work with what by deconstructing what was still really patriarchal about Wicca, about initiatory Wicca, I mean. And she really There was everything I loved in our approach. So there was this direct contact with the spirits of the land, the spirits of place. Uh, There was this, this very deep awareness of the fact that we needed to change our perspective and to switch from a very anthropocentric one to one that was more, we would say, holistic right now, simply were, you know, Humankind is not the very center
0: of, the center yeah, yeah.
1: of
2: existence yeah. and and of course she's a very pleasant person and uh, she has a very nice sense of humor. she's really delightful, so I loved her and she's gone very far away from Garnerium with Wicca so.
0: Yes, yes.
2: There is still a debate. I mean
0: maybe we should we should say a few a few just a few sentences about her because there again I'm afraid uh, many people have forgotten maybe or never known who she is, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe just just very briefly. I mean she's she's American, she Yeah, she's, she's American. She was one of the very first and an attorney, I think.
2: Yeah, she was yeah. she's uh, been an attorney and she has been one of the very first public witches in the US. Uh, She was the one, uh, I don't know if she was the only one because I don't know the technicalities, but she was uh, involved in that famous case. I don't know if you remember the one where, uh, you know, the military um, could get to have, you know, the pentacle on their tombstones, uh, which was Mm -hmm. very uh, important at the time. And um, she has been initiated in in Minon sisterhood with a a Gardnerian lineage in New York. And after that, she started her own, uh, I mean, it was not right after initiation, of course, but after a while, she started her own own tradition, which was the Temple of Ara. And she did that essentially by, you know, deconstructing, what was really patriarchal about Wicca, what she found to be profoundly patriarchal, and mm-hmm. by integrating what, because at the same time, while she was uh, training in this Minon sisterhood, in this coven, uh, she was training with the very first circle um, that was has, had been created by Michael Harner, where, you know, the Tom Cohen, <laughs> And uh, Lorenzo Menigoni, and all the first you know pupils of Michael Harner who founded core shamanism, so
0: that brought shamanism, which is michael Harner of course very important for uh, Western shama- reception and use of shamanism and though that brought also that aspect into the work of Phyllis right
2: yeah, it was natural for her because it was happening at the, at the very same time, so it was natural to mm. fuse the two approach and uh, you know, right now I'm talking about, you know, shamanic this and shamanic that and shamanic witch, wicca, it's all the rage, but uh, that was in the 80s. I don't remember the exact year, but I think it was the middle of the 80s and there was nothing mm-hmm. like that at the time. And I also want to uh, underline the fact that I'll be talking about, you know, uh, a shamanic approach but when I talk about a shamanic approach I am the meaning that I'm using in, is the anthropological one I know that okay. there is a, a great debate about this word but you know, as a researcher and an academic I find that we need a vocabulary and uh, you know shamanic you know means a certain set you know of characteristic when we speak about it know, religions mm-hmm. and uh, spirituality from an anthropological and historical right. point of view. And that's the meaning I'm using. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you for making that clear. Yeah, sure. <laughs>
2: uh, so that's it. So Phyllis, uh, you know, started our tradition in the U.S. and uh, after a while she came to Italy and uh, she did her first round of initiations. <clears throat> I got initiated in 2012 so it was not the first mm-hmm. the first round by all means and also because there were lots of things that were happening in my life right now, uh, at the moment so uh, you know it was not a fast approach but we are not a fast tradition <laughs>
1: It's not the
2: one year in a day, you know, it doesn't work like that. (laughs) (laughs) And as I was saying, she uh, detached, she got really far from her Gardnerian roots. And right now there is a bit of a debate going on, you know, in Europe. Uh, Like, is the Temple of Ara even weaker or is it something else? Which, I mean, it can be interesting from... um, an academical point of view, a pour parler, if you want, sure. but our position is that we don't really give a damn about it. So <laughs> you can, you know, <laughs> yeah. this, yeah. In these things, it's not you cannot really place a boundary and say this is Wicca and this is not. Uh, no, you can say, we're not. yeah. Yeah. So it's true that we are not. Gardnerian week anymore, but uh, I mean, I personally don't care if people decide to call it still week or something else, which is because it's true.
0: Well, it won't change your approach and your work because it's no. called like this or like that, right? Exactly, right? Exactly. But But now, how would you? as high priestess of the Tempio di Ara and uh, now t- since 2002. So it's almost 20 years of work within that um, would you call it an order or a group? What would you call it? And um, what how would you define it? What is it to you? How would you describe to outsiders uh, how the Tempio di Ara defines itself?
2: Well, the Temple of Ara is it's a tradition. And it's the way in which we, we try to teach and to train people so that they can have their own tools to reestablish a contact with the, their indigenous tradition. And I mean indigenous in the sense of the spirits of the place where they live. Of course, it's less problematic to talk in this way since we are both Europeans. This would be a much mm-hmm. more difficult, you know, discussion if we were I mean, Americans because that's
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, a whole different kind, kind of forms. But for us, it's uh, I mean, it's not problematic at all to talk about the fact that we are getting back in touch with our indigenous spirits and tradition. Like, for example, Mm -hmm. if I go in Rome, I'll drink from the spring of Ageria, which is really, really, you know, the the body of the Mm -hmm. blood of the nymph, you know, and Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: we try to to give people these tools so that they can experiment and find that connection themselves. And that's why we don't work with a fixed, you know, set of like deities or spirits or so on. And everybody is, you know, within that framework, within the main values and the practices and the general approach, which is, I mean, divine immanence and, uh, you know, nature as the first teacher and, uh, you know, a general Generally, shamanic approach, which is mm-hmm. animistic in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, within that framework, you are people are free to uh, go and find which is the path that uh, calls to them, and that's. I think that's very important in a, especially in a country like Italy, where we have. Even if you don't go as far as talking about the fact. Can I be, you know, cold or be interested in traditions and, you know, both magical and spiritual that are not connected, you know, to my homeland, which Mm -hmm. my personal answer would be yes, but opinions differ. Yeah.
0: That, that, that is, that is a a very important, very complicated discussion actually, isn't it?
2: Yeah. It's, yeah, it's very complicated because many things go into that. Uh, you know, the whole mm. discourse on cultural appropriation, uh, which is, yes, it's quite difficult to have right now because, you know, it seems that when everything becomes cultural appropriation, nothing really is anymore. Mm. <laughs>
0: Exactly, exactly. Now, I I share your opinion also what you just said before. I'm completely with you, but I just meant that uh, this discussion on cultural appropriation is a very difficult one, especially in the world of the occult. I don't know. Yeah. Right.
2: And uh, it Mm. makes me really crazy the way in which people are discussing cultural appropriation, because if, if they really started, I mean, how magic and religion and spirituality evolved And throughout the world, you'll see that it's perfectly normal, you know, to mix and merge with one another and to exchange, especially, I mean, especially magic, everything that came from faraway lands, it was, you know, really cool. And everybody wanted to, to get that. We are, I think, yeah, it's a difficult, but on the other hand, it's also true that new age, I think that's my personal opinion Has really complicated this matter because what really makes the difference, at least for me is respect. So if you put respect and the will to learn and the will to get in touch, you know, with that tradition, with that culture, and you are really, you're giving something. You're not just taking from it.
0: Exactly. It's always an exchange. True. Yeah.
2: That's an exchange. If you just, if you don't want to take without, you know, getting to know the people, listening to them, asking them to share with you, or even putting, you know, the effort to really know about the things about which you are speaking, which is the bare minimum. (laughs) Well, that's just, if you don't do all that, that's just, you know, taking and that's wrong. That's disrespectful. Absolutely.
0: I think that's very well said and very clearly put forward uh, what the problem in this whole discussion is. Thank you for that.
2: Of course, there are a, a whole, you know, a whole number of things that complicate the subject political issues and, uh, you know, oppressed minorities and so on and so on. So it's not always just so easy to see where the line can be drawn. No. But, I mean, we are dealing with magic, so it's a liminal practice. We should not get too enamored of, you know, lines being drawn. We should get comfortable in gray areas.
0: In holistic areas, right? <laughs> Yeah. A lovely personality, very nice and charming woman, and highly interesting what she has to say. I must say, I've once again, that often happens, but especially in this interview, learned a lot again myself, because even as a European, I'm not really completely aware of what is going on in the neighboring countries. Here, Italy is really very close to where I live, and it was really interesting to hear what is going on there in the witchcraft scene and their very special ways of approach, a very European also way of approach that they have there. And grateful to Julia that I and all of us could learn about this. So I promised you some music for this interval as always. Yes, of course, and I keep my promise, no worries. So um, actually, I'm going to announce you two pieces of music because we are going to hear one piece of music right now And then at the end of the interview, we'll continue right away with a third musical piece. So, now what we are going to hear is a piece from Spain. The group is called Andanza, with double Z, Andanza, a Spanish folk group from Madrid, and lead singer is called Haide Marinoso. And we are going to hear a song. Hecate, Hecate, I think uh, very to the point for this episode as well, and this is an extract from their album "Whispers of the Forest," which was published in 2016. In general, Andanza songs are varied. They use many different instruments, also like didgeridoo and tambourine and others. And um, well, the Hecate song I think is really very special, um, and we are gonna enjoy that i hope really quite a bit so listen to andanza and hecate but but before that of course i have to tell you what will be the song that we hear after after the interview at the end of the interview and well finally with that music we go also into italy Mecano is the name of the singer. Mecano and her song is called Filia de la Luna. Well, to be completely honest, the original title is Hijo de la Luna. So, again, Spanish. <laughs> a Spanish song and Mecano, the band, is also Spanish. Apparently, there are many more witchy bands in Spain than in Italy. Um, but this is the Italian version of their song, Hijo de la Luna and Figlio de la Luna, Son of the Moon. Um, you're going to hear that at the end after the interview, which will continue with Julia, once this first song that we're going to hear now, Hecate with Andanza, is going to be played. Enjoy. So now you were initiated in in the Temple of Ara. And now you were sixteen. Um, how did it continue? No, how did was, it, how it was two thousand and twelve. No, I wasn't
2: I wasn't sixteen. I was now you're making no, me you count were, and it's terrible. You were <laughs> so, uh <laughs> and uh, yeah and no I, I think I was my
0: I said 2012, right? Yes, you said 2002. I, I, and I was 26. Maybe, you, uh, maybe, maybe I mixed it up. Okay, mm-hmm. you were 20, yeah, exactly. So I I, mm-hmm. I I got that wrong by only ten years. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, because um, they wouldn't
2: have initiated me if I were 16. So well, I, I was
0: surprised anyway. But so 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 good, good, good. But um, so that changes everything because, of course, then you had already, because that's what what I was going for um, to your archaeological studies, which in the meantime, you probably had already started. And um, and um, maybe you should tell us here a bit what brought you to that kind of study? Maybe it was linked to your general interest also in yeah, those traditions course. or not? Or how did that interact for you?
2: Now, I always was interested in history and uh, I came to a point in my life where I had to decide if I wanted to, you know, study politics, uh, which I was, uh, well, I had a gift for that as well. And uh, I had okay. been selected at the time, you know, in a European program for you know, young to scout young talents. And, uh, mm-hmm. or if I wanted to study archaeology, which was, you know, my true passion. And I remember that I thought to myself, uh, okay, if I go forth with this sort of, you know, politics career, I'll probably be. Much richer than if I do the other one, <laughs> but I I, pro- I know myself, and I'll probably become an horrible person because uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> um. So I, I didn't want to do that, and that's what made me choose because uh, on the one, you know, I think that all people that start to start their path in the esoteric they come to a point where they feel this frustration that the the field where they put all their attention and work and studies and research has no value at all outside of that bubble. So that Mm -hmm. you're basically considered to be a weirdo and that there is no social, you know, Recognition at all.
0: Recognition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Um.
2: So and that came very early on for me because I'm. A, I come from a very competitive family when everybody you mm-hmm. know has to climb their way to the top. And uh, I really perceived that my interest for that field was just in order that that I so that I could show to them that I was good and that I was you know skilled and that I was smart. But I, I understood that I already knew that. I already knew that I'm, you know, good at what I do and that I'm clever and so on. And that I didn't want to live my life demonstrating that to people. And that I just mm. wanted to do what I loved. So that brought me to archaeology. And in particular, I decided to focus, of course, on the magical and religious field. And... I gave my um, specialistic thesis in Egyptian archaeology.
0: La Dea Maftet.
2: Yeah, the first one was on the goddess Maftet, while, you know, the second one, the specialistic one, was on uh, execration and ritual homicide in ancient Egypt, which was, you know, the topic of the, the lecture that I gave for the Ancient Magic Symposium uh, some days ago.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and that is very, you know, my chosen academic field is very connected with my interests in the occult and it's also very connected with my personal method and practice because I started to you know, I started to see how much of modern, you know, neo-paganism, but also uh, modern, you know, esoteric practices are based on really outdated scholarship when it comes to mm-hmm. the historical and archaeological field. Like, I mm-hmm. don't know, the Golden Bow or uh, Margaret Murray or, I don't know, uh, even uh, Graves' White Goddess, for example, uh, yeah, God, Godfrey Leland, just to give some examples, and this balance between getting, keeping the good parts, the poetic parts, uh, and putting into discussions all all the other parts, all the parts that were really just shoddy, outdated scholarship.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm.
2: Is something that I think has brought me here, where I stand right now.
0: Do you think that problem that you just evoked—that there is a kind of outdatedness uh, in the in the material that is used in in the occult, Let's put it way. Do you think that? comes more from the fact that the practitioners of the occult and the esoteric are not really interested in getting deeper into the uh, uh, into the scientific matter, or is it by, because the scientific world is looking with contempt at the practitioners? Where do you think it originates that problem?
2: Well, first of all, I think this is an excellent question. Uh,
0: Thank
1: you. <sighs>
2: I would say a bit of both. Mm. Uh, I think that uh, practitioners were seducted by that, you know, specific time in academic research because it was a time um, where scholars were still trying to fit, you know, everything Uh, into a very simple and straightforward uh, storyline so to say Uh, it was still a time where you know it's not it was not postmodernism at work so uh, they still had this compulsion to make everything work within uh, a single panorama so to say and that's very seductive for Protectioner, because it, you know it's simple and you can work very easily with that. Uh, there are no doubts; yeah. it's everything is very simple. And uh, for example, with the golden bow, you know everything is about you know vegetation and the god of vegetation dies, and there's the Greek mother and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, which is much more simple than you know. Uh, Seeing that every goddess is not a great mother, and that even great mothers are different from one another, and that it depends from the historical period and the culture and etc. 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 So yeah, on the one hand, it's easier. Uh, on the other hand, I think that you know, the academic world, yes, uh, they basically sneer at us. And not so much anymore because now they know that there's money to be made <laughs> for example if you, <laughs> yeah if you look uh, to Ekates Sotera, for example you know, from uh, Sarah Eales Johnson uh, yeah. uh, it sure. sold a lot like you know even she was flabbergasted by her sales and it sold essentially to you know witches and neopagans and practitioners uh, yeah. Because, you know, nowadays people are, they're not buying that kind of stuff. So uh, there's still, there's still prejudice and, but it's not as heavy as it once was. Mm-hmm. And, but Is it's there
0: still, a new generation coming up also in the scientific world or the academic world, more to speak there.
2: I personally think so, but uh, I think so, not because they think we are less, you know, weird, but just because, you know, the fact that there is there has been this big uh, influx and uh, raising interest in the study of ancient magical techniques. Well, this makes us more interesting for them because there is a very interesting article by Sarah eels Johnson, in which she basically says that uh, they should study us. They should study us to see, to get new perspectives and see what's lost on them when they study, you know, ancient practitioners. And I think she really hit, you know, the nail on the head with that. Because sometimes uh, when I'm reading, you know, a paper, on some ancient you know spell or technique well these scholars get lost on very simple practical matter and they start discussing oh why why is this thing done like that while you know normally it would have been done in the other way and as a practitioner you can just see that the original you know practitioner did it wrong that you know, mm-hmm. it was an ass, and <laughs> just got it wrong. But if you something that if you have been there and done that, you just get the feeling of what was, on, of what was happening.
0: It, it must have been wrong, or something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah.
2: So uh, maybe which
0: brings me to change. another question: uh, um, Do you think or not? Do you think? I think uh, I know the answer, but if I put it like that, but. um I put the question differently. To what extent do you think uh, that ritual practice, etc., is influenced by the time in which you do it? So uh, how much part is tradition and needs to be done the traditional way? Because that's where it's rooted. And to what extent uh, ritual and practice has to be influenced by the time it's being done?
2: Um, uh, it's a fact and it's not my personal opinion that if we, if we were in a, in an ideal situation and we are not, and we had every single information, you know, uh, on a specific practice, be it religious or magical or, you know, anything in between, um, And I mean any single information from, you know, the gestures and the practice and what you should do and the ingredients and, uh, you know, the formula and so on, every information. And if we were to follow those steps, you know, we still would not get the same result. It wouldn't have the same effect on us because we are people that were brought in different cultures in a different time. And the very same gesture I, I use right now has a very different meaning for me than the one that it had, it had for a person like 2,000 years ago. Um, but I think that the very first thing that I want to do when I see a spell or a practice, I want to split open and look in its guts and see, you know, the inner workings in there and see what's happening. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm not being, you know, in using ancient, like handbooks, like the PGM and so on, like just uh, a sort of spell book to follow to the letter. Mm -hmm. Because I think that's not how you get the best results. I think that you get the best results when you're able to open it and see what's going on in there so that you can connect to the real working root of that practice and make it work for you right now. Which Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that you are improving them. It just means that, well, I really don't know how to explain that. It's like, you know, it's like cooking. You can show me a recipe that you really love and and that you cook all the time. And if if I see you doing that, and I try to do it at home, it will never be the same thing. But if I get the feel of it, if I get why it works and why it's so good, and then I try to make it my own thing and make it work, then it works
0: yeah it's like italian cafe never tastes the same if you carry it in another country and drink <laughs> it elsewhere <laughs> yeah that's insane. no but seriously uh, seriously i think i think you're very right about what you're saying i i would completely share that opinion because um a we have evolved even our ears and eyes uh see and hear things differently because we are have we are under so much pressure from everything that we need to see every day, for example, that our eyes might react differently than the eyes of a person in the ancient Roman Empire. Right. I I mean, I think that's quite obvious. And therefore, uh, I would also think that we have to adapt to a certain extent. But it's a tricky a tricky line to find how far should you go by modifying, adapting, and where do you need to, to stick to tradition, right?
2: I like to say that it's like dancing on a blade, you know? And
3: mm, yeah, yeah.
2: It's very exciting, but I think that what really makes the difference in all kinds of magic and witchcraft, what really makes the difference is if you are able to really get in touch with the spirits involved, if I can really get in touch with those spirits, then they are the ones that will teach me how to adapt it. So that works for me. And I personally, for the way in which I practice, that's key. For example, um, the, my main personal practice, which is not the one that I share, you know, with the Temple of Arts, my personal path, mm-hmm. uh, is focused on the work with Diana Nemorensis and uh, mm-hmm. the ancient cult of Diana Nemorensis. And for me, you know, it, it was really, it was quite easy to merge what uh, what were my academic studies and scholarly studies about our cult uh, and what were my personal experiences and revelations. Because in so many, you know, it has happened to me a number, really a number of times that I uh, saw things that were still not confirmed by the excavation that was still going on at the temple of Diana and Nemi. when they got to that point, it was, you know, confirmed, which is not, I mean, it is not that important that everything you do gets confirmed by history or archaeology. Or, or, rec- live- or
0: recognized or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, 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 It's
2: not that important. It's not essential. But when, it's happen- when, it, when it happens, it's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> sure.
0: uh, it, 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 it's, it's like a confirmation to yourself, isn't it?
2: Yeah. And it's also, it's also quite moving to me because, because spirits change and demons change and gods and goddesses change. But I think there's a very profound inner core, like in people, you know, a very profound inner core that doesn't change, that essentially remains Mm -hmm. the same. And Mm -hmm. it's something that is very, you know, it's beyond all the Bridges that we build with you know, culture and uh, social norms and etc., etc., to interact with that spirit or deity. Mm. But when you're really able to, uh, you know, it's like you know, throwing a rope at it and getting that connection, then mm. uh, what you get is really uh, a steady flow. And it's very moving to see that that flow can bring you to the same, you know, shores that were visited by your ancestors,
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
2: both in mm-hmm. the physical and in the spiritual sense. So not just, you know, yeah. your blood. Ancestors.
0: Yeah. yeah yeah I as we have very many um, very many listeners in the US I think I' just should say, say that Diana of Nemi or Diana Nemorensis you just mentioned she is a very early goddess which has kind of been converted by the Greeks into Artemis am I right about that
2: oh uh, well partly <laughs> uh, Thank the count of Diana <laughs> Nemorensis. Uh, is one of the oldest cults in in Italy. Uh, she was an Italic mm-hmm. deity, and uh, she was, you know, um, uh, she was merged with Artemis uh, later on when you know the Greek culture uh, came more rooted, came more stead- to, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. more deeply mm-hmm. uh, into Italy. And uh, her temple in Nemi is the place mm-hmm. in which the ritual of the next Rex Nemorensis happened. So it was a priesthood uh, which gave the name to the Golden bow. Uh, it's yeah. the ritual in which, you know, the priest, which was the Rex Nemorensis, had to be uh, killed by the new, the incoming Rex yeah. Nemorensis. And uh, he basically right. lived as both prey and predator. So he had to always be on the alert. uh, Because anyone could come and try to take his place. Yeah. Yeah. And that comes, you know, the idea is that that ritual is at least coming as far back as the Bronze Age.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, Thank you for just that little explanation. I think it was, it was needed. <laughs> um, you were talking about your personal practice. Would you be willing to, if you don't want to just a little, not a problem, but if you would you be willing to share a little bit more about your personal practice as it differs from the one that you do at the Tempio Tempe Well,
2: As uh, like many pagans of old, Uh, I have this, you know, um, double practice. Uh, The one with the temple is the public one, so to say, but not public in the sense that I'm showing it to others, you know, just in the sense that it's the one that is the common language that is needed to ritualize with others and to celebrate, you know, um, the festivities, like the seasonal, you know, festivities and to build, to really build a community then there's my personal practice which uh closely follows my the things that calls to me and my personal you know interests uh and i would say that well i like to understand and study everything but my heart really lies with witchcraft and uh, i would say it you know, the craft of the Strega here in Italy. Uh, so uh, my practice is, well, I have been influenced by lots of things, uh, of course, by the gospel of Aradia by Leland's which is deeply problematic from the point of view of uh, you know, history and uh, philology, etc., mm-hmm, etc. Mm-hmm. Et but uh, yeah. from the poetry of it, from the worldview mm-hmm. that comes from it, mm-hmm. um, and it's, uh, it's very difficult for me to talk about that because uh, not because I don't want to, but because it's something so visceral to me that it's well, difficult personal, to yeah, express in yeah, yeah. words. But yes, yeah. Uh,
1: mm, yeah
2: working with spirits of the place. I think that the best way to describe the way in which I work is that I root myself in a place and I try to build a net of connection with all the spirits that live there and all the spirits and the deities that walk the path with me. And witchcraft is really the art of, you know, exchanging, magic and communication with them and uh, exploring, exploring everything that tries to escape our normal senses in, in this world. I think that
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: the best way to describe magic is, you know, that feeling that you get when you see a really great work of art or you're having, if you're lucky, really great sex. and. You suddenly feel like there's something so great and immense that is just eluding you, but you're just, you know, sort of touching it and then it escapes from your fingers. And I think that the magicians are the ones that are really stubborn and they want to chase that feeling. They want to know how it's like and they want to examine it and they try to get back to it again and again and again. They are not satisfied
0: Repeat with Repeat it, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're
2: not satisfied with this elusive epiphanies and they want to get deep into it and discover all its secrets, which is not possible, of course, to discover all its secrets, but, you know, it's the work that is really yeah, yeah, fascinating.
3: Yeah.
0: Maybe this is a difficult or inappropriate question, but um, do you think that uh, there is a difference between the male and the female approach to that way of living your personal practice? I mean, I believe everyone who is active in 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 witchcraft or the occult has that. But do you think there is a a difference in how it's approached uh, or or is that is that would that be a uh, would that be not something that that you would see like that?
2: This is a very dangerous question because
0: (laughs) I know I said it, it was difficult.
2: Okay, so... Um, it, well, you,
0: one can ask intelligent people difficult questions.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's difficult, not because I I really don't know how to answer it, but because it's a minefield, you know? Yes, um, yes it
0: is. I, I'm, I, I'm aware of that, yes.
2: Uh, I'll try to give you a very sincere uh, answer, and, which is based on my personal experience. Uh mm. It, I mean for the by definition it's partial you know it's not
1: Absolutely. Um, yeah sure
2: well um, I have noticed that we are always talking about you know the average because everyone is different and there are you know different cases and situations and so on but in aver- by average I think that women are generally um well, they get into uh, altered states of consciousness uh, more easily, generally speaking, mm-hmm. than men. Mm-hmm. Uh, I personally don't know why. Could be a cultural thing, you know, that men get uh, instructed mm-hmm. since they are. You know, babies and toddlers to be very, you know, rational and you yeah, yeah, yeah. not in touch with their emotions and so on uh, it could be something more biological. I don't know. I have no idea. But uh, you know, as a teacher, uh, I see that, and it's uh, mm-hmm. many men say that to me. Like hey, I see all these women having all these, you know, visionary experiences very easily. But for me, it's really more difficult
0: difficult Mm -hmm.
2: Uh, which doesn't mean that they don't get there it's just you know harder usually and uh, i also think that well people are going to flay me for saying this but i also think that you know much of ceremonial magic which was you know the so-called higher magic you know thought by um, by so man, cool. yeah. Essentially, is trying to bridge that gap. So mm.
1: you
2: know, lots of um complex preparation and uh, and so on and so on and so on and long formulas, etc. 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 Which I think they are meant to bring you into that state, you know, even mm-hmm. if you um uh, mm-hmm. even if, if it's more difficult. Um, I think that's probably the main difference that I can see, Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, you know, on the other hand, I, I like r- working with mixed groups exactly for that reason, because sometimes yeah, sure. women can get more, you know, uh, I don't know, they can get really carried away with this, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, Visions and experiences and so on it and it could be more difficult for them to you know accept, establish a path and follow it and be methodical yeah, yeah. with
0: yeah yeah yeah
1: because
2: mm. they are distracted by all this you know paraphernalia yeah. going around yeah. uh, but this is really my general experience, and I know that there are you know uh men who get in, in uh, uh, altered states very agree, easily, yeah. and there are yeah, women sure. that do not, so. Well, yeah, we yeah,
0: and, uh, sure. No, no, uh, of, of course, we can only speak about uh, about uh, general generalities. <laughs> but thank you for taking up the challenge with that question. <laughs> now our time is almost up, Julian. we have not even spoken about your artisan work. Just give me a quick hint to that. You have also a website called uh, Il Bos- Bosco di Artemisia. So there we are again with with the <laughs> other a little bit. Um, but uh, What are you doing there? Because you're not only an archaeologist and not only a a witch, but also an artisan in that field. What do you do there?
2: Yeah, I like to... I've never... uh, I always needed, you know, to do both mind work and hand work. So to work with Mm -hmm. my hands as well. And uh, since I built my own drum uh, back in, I think it was 20. 2012, so, 2012, uh, I really fell in love with the process you know, of creating ritual tools, especially drums and rattles, but mm-hmm. other kinds of tools as well. And it was the fact that I could really uh, see the object emerge, uh, both in the physical sense and in the spiritual one and see, you know, how the spirit got into the matter and animated it. Uh, That was really fascinating for me. Um, That's why I decided to basically to keep doing it also because I'm very lucky Mm -hmm. and I married a very good painter. So we work as a team and, uh, I do, you know, I make the drums and I work with the clients to, um, try to establish how, you know, their project should look based on their path and the visions they had and et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, and he does the, the painting. So, uh, he is
0: great. Yeah. (laughs)
2: He <laughs> does the paintwork. Um yeah. so yeah, that's something that I really I really enjoy doing also because otherwise I would spend all my time studying ancient curses, which is good, but you know. You need to get a break and work with your hands and really get dirty. Which yeah. I I personally good love. point.
0: <laughs> good point. And I encourage everyone to go on the website, the Thalhermis website. I have a link put there for the Bosco di Artemisia, and don't worry. Even if you click on the English page on Bosco di Artemisia on that website of Julius, you'll get the question if the cookies are accepted in Italian. But once you clicked on that uh, accetto, accetto means yes, I accept. Yeah. Then you are in You're not English signing version, up don't you worry. soul. I wouldn't know what to do exactly. with it. <laughs> <laughs> so I just I, I know some people who don't speak Italian really get scared of things like that. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Julia, thank you so much for that. Really, really pleasant time. It flew over. Over, I hope you. The the feeling of losing your podcast virginity wasn't too bad for you either. No,
2: no, it wasn't too um, painful.
0: (laughs) Good, you were very, very gentle good, very good. with
2: me. Thank you.
0: Oh, wow, thank you. Thank you. I'm now I'm <laughs> blushing if someone could see me. Um, OK, well, thank you so much for that hour and eight minutes in my company. And well, um, good luck for all your projects and for your future work. And thanks for being such an interesting partner to speak with here. And well, maybe you have a final word for our audience. <laughs>
2: Yeah, uh, thank you. It was really, really wonderful to speak with you and I enjoyed it enormously. And uh, I hope that uh, everybody will enjoy this the same way that I did.
0: (laughs) I'm sure they will when they listen to you. Thank you so much, Julia. And speak some other time, I hope.
3: Narra la leyenda
0: la Luna, Sun of the Moon by Meccano, an Italian version of that Spanish group, original song, Hijo de la Luna. Um, really very special music, I believe, as well. And very special was also that interview that I had with Julia. Really enjoyed that, really enjoyed doing it and having her on the show. And um, please go to the website if you want to find out more about her, about her, her work, about her writings, when she will appear again, maybe at the Magical Women's Conference, as I said earlier. You can see and hear her live there or also in streaming because they do that now during the pandemic as well. And you should also go to her website where she produces shamanic and witchcraft tools herself. Have a look. It's really, really nice pieces that she does and worth the look and worth the buy, I would say. Okay, great. Well, that was episode number four of our season six. Amazing. We've now, we are around 80 episodes with that show already. And uh, it's continuing and it's continuing by week now again. As I promised to you by mid-May, I will switch at least for some time. I will switch back to weekly episodes. And well, this is the moment next week, next Sunday, May 23rd. There will be our next show, Season 6, Episode 5. And I am extremely happy to tell you that my guest next week will be John Michael Greer. For some reason, I ha- wanted to have him on the show for the last four years, and it never materialized. It was not his fault. It was, well, it just didn't happen. As it sometimes happens. <laughs> and, uh, well, now it has happened. We have already recorded a couple of days ago our interview And I can tell you, it's a lot of fun and highly interesting again. So join me in a week from today for Episode 5 with John Michael Greer. It will be great to have you back. For the moment, thank you for listening here today. It was great to have you with me and have a good week. And I can only tell you now, well, what do I say? Take care. Stay tuned. Hear you soon.